Okay, um, try to find something a little different uh, each time we even cross through the same chapters of the Bible and uh, very interesting to, uh, uh, to think on them and to know that there's something everywhere for, for everyone and to reread the Bible. Pearl and I are always stopping the Bible on the cassette player and CD player and discussing something and then going back to it you know, and enjoy the study while we're going through. Not too fast, not too slow, but we're enjoying it. Um, so this time I thought about what, what I should call a sermon. And I thought, well, uh, the beginning of the Church of God. That's from the uh, Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> that's not an everyday thing just recently. But um, that's what it calls it there in the starting of the book of Acts. And I watched a, a note at the beginning of the book of Acts that said, uh, Jesus began both to do and to teach. That while we really need to know what's going on, what Jesus is doing, what he's teaching. So I thought, uh, I, I guess that'll work. Um, Jesus is the head of the church, so yes, it would make sense that he's the beginning of the church as well, how the church got started, what was keeping it going. So, uh, I, again, I, I like to look at a lot of different things while I'm going along. And one I begin to think of right away about Jesus being the head of the church and, and how much prophecy is about Jesus. So I grabbed up a couple of things that right away made me go and look. What, what was there the last time I looked? Well, in Halley's Bible Handbook, I kind of like it. It's uh, pretty square with the world, I think, especially the older versions. This is back there a ways, uh, around 1962 or 64, something back in there, 65. So I found this page that I had viewed before, so it has a little red sticker on the side. And uh, the prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament is what uh, Luke is talking, well, Luke, being the writer of the book of Luke, as well as the book of Acts, uh, he's alluding to that he wrote about it, and that's, that's where he got his information from, was from uh, the prophecies about uh, Jesus' time. So in this little book, long about the beginning of the New Testament, there is uh, a writing in here and lists 45 Old Testament verses that are uh, prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus. And right away I thought, oh, I can use a calculator in here. Because I heard a story about police that when they're doing fingerprints, if they catch a guy that they presume is the guy that's guilty, and they have fingerprints from that site, and they start comparing the fingerprints, and if there's nine points of similarity, this is an old story when there wasn't so many people in the world, <laughs> um, but if they got... Uh, Nine points of similarity, it would be nine to the ninth power. And so, I, you know, you know me. <laughs> I got on the computer and my handheld um, calculator and do nine to the ninth power. And it's about a third, uh, let's see, three, uh, 387, I guess, uh, 0.387 of a billion people. So there's nine zeros kind of thing in there too. And, uh, or seven, eight zeros if you move the decimal point one notch. But um, uh, there wouldn't be enough people in the world to start over. So you got the right one. If you have nine points, 
Now, Jesus has got 40 points of things that he did, 45 points that he did, that proves that he's the Messiah, that he's the right one. What's the odds of him being the wrong guy? And you got to find somebody else. <laughs> it's impossible. Jesus is the one. He's the one that fulfilled all those prophecies. So these are here in, in a nice little book like this. It's always got something very interesting. You can see all the tags that I've got. And it, it's really worth the eight bucks <laughs> at uh, um, half price books. Then there's uh, a new Bible that I've got. I haven't used very much. And in the back of this Bible, there is a page that says prophecies of the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It takes about yay many pages, I don't know, six, nine pages in this book because they spaced them out, they wrote them out better, and they wrote out the Old Testament scripture in full and the one that, and the subject that you're going to be comparing and the New Testament verse. So they're all here. And just You don't have to go to the Bible at all. They're just right there. Well, this is the Bible. Okay, It's a... King James Version, or no, I guess this one is called the uh, the New Open Bible. King James Version, right. Okay. So these are great things to have to compare of what Jesus was prophesied to do and what he did do. And I even had a story of this policeman that said when Jesus was on the cross dying and how did he manage to convince or make people do what he needed to do in order to be the Messiah by prophecies? Well, that, that he couldn't do. How did they gamble for his clothing? How did they gamble for this? How did they decide not to tear the one cloth that was his robe? Um, that's all prophesied. He couldn't do that. It was done of God. It was a miracle that these things were happening. It was proving that Jesus was the Messiah. And to know that Jesus is the head of the church, it's also in Ephesians 5 and 23, verse 23, and Colossians 1, verse 18. I'm not going to read those, but I want you to know it's there in the text, in the scriptures, that Christ is the head of the church. Uh, after that, I thought about after his resurrection, you always want uh, to verify, you want proof, you want to... Uh, um, uh, yeah, proofs of somebody's resurrection or some, something happening. You, you need at least three proofs is what the Bible uses. Well, there's even more than that because the, the 12 apostles were, were sure that this was the Messiah. And they talked about it. They, they uh, wrote about it. They, they were convinced. And then, uh, of course, when one fell from the 12 and had to be replaced, that's what we're going to be reading today. Um, he... Uh, they still were 12, but after the 12, you'll notice that there's another one steps in, another one steps in, and all of a sudden there's 120, or there's this, this many are popping up. And then there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, that talks about uh, 500. I think that's where I read it, 500. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's where it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6 was where it talked about the 500 that could verify that Jesus did these things, that he was the Messiah, that he had done this and this and this, okay? 500 at least. So that's amazing. 
Um, so he fulfilled these prophecies. So the sermon is really about accepting Christ as our savior. You have to be convinced to a certain level, part you do by faith, right? But you have to be convinced that he was the actual Messiah and the right person. And then uh, when you can accept him as that Messiah or as your savior, the Christ, uh, then you'd move on to the, making him the Lord of your life, the Lord of your life. Um, to be converted by hearing the truth about the message, about the Messiah and, and what he lived for, what he did, uh, which we're going to read some today. But to be converted to hearing the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Some think he was just a good man. No, he's far more than that. He was a good man. And yet when he was asked, well, good master, he said, no, 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 there's only one good. Heavenly Father is good. Um, so I, I'm strained with comments nowadays. You ask somebody, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. No, you're not good. Because <laughs> only the Heavenly Father is good. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, we like to say that we're okay. We're doing fine. Okay. Uh, so we're going to go through uh, about three chapters of the book of Acts. Party, part, of, part of it I read or have to comment on verses or read a verse uh, to get the continuity going. Other ones I want to step through fairly quickly by seeing words that I've already highlighted in the scriptures. So uh, I want to get going fairly quickly on that. And uh, we should find Christ and then repent of our sins and turn ourselves away from the, um, the false things that are around us, the bad things that are around us, change our ways from uh, uh, being in iniquity to being good and righteous and proper. So I want to jump here directly to the scripture. Now, I didn't copy all three chapters into a Word document, which I could scroll. And this program that I'm using for the Bible does not scroll. You can make an attempt and your life will lose your way just about that quick, real quick. But in the book of Acts, the first verse, uh, it's accidentally scrolled already. Okay, it's in John now for some reason or other. Okay, <laughs> let's go to the Bible. I'll make out just fine. The first verse of the first chapter of John the former thesis which I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. He's written some thesis before. Well, we know it's the book of, of Luke, right? There may have been other ones as well. We don't know how many things he wrote. And then he's writing it for this man that was evidently uh, giving him some money maybe for doing the writing, taking his time for it. Uh, he was also, uh, Luke was a medical doctor, so maybe he had sufficient income. Uh, but he took off from work because when you're reading the book of Acts, it'll say, we did so. He was there with them. They went from here to there. We went. He was with them. Other places, it says they went or they did this. They did that. He wasn't with them and that. He was stayed in some town or some other situation, so he couldn't be with them. But most of the time, he was with them. So it's an eyewitness report is what the book of Acts is. Uh, we've got a, a lesson for uh, a correspondence course or through email, you'd say, uh, on the book of Acts. 
And you think that, well, it's in chronological order. Oh, that's how it was written. You know, it's, it's in chronological order already. That, so it's a pretty good course and a neat one to read the book of Acts and to step from place to place, country to country, and have a map with you. There's maps in the back of the Bible, but uh, even a better map or a bigger map so that you can see where the cities are and where he went and what he would have been seeing and the storms and things that he tells about. Um, that's really neat to follow along and get immersed into the story, get right into it. So uh, I'll just carry on here a little bit. Verse two, until the day. So he's writing this with all the information he could gather from the beginning of something to this time that he's writing. Okay, we'll, we'll get that part there too. Until the day in which he was taken up. So there's the end of his writing of the subject that's here. Uh, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He chose these disciples, these apostles. And they had to be eyewitnesses of everything that went on. So you can't have an apostle nowadays. We weren't there. Okay, you, you can have elders and deacons and, you know, uh, missionaries. You can have all the other uh, words you want to say, but not an apostle because we, we weren't there when Jesus did these things. We weren't eyewitnesses. To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by making infallible proofs. We need the proofs. It really helps our faith, makes us hang in when the times are tough. Um, being seen of them 40 days. 40, okay, there's another number coming up, right? But we know 40 days he was with them. Okay, hang on to that number. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, that's what he was teaching them. After his death and resurrection, he's still teaching them these subjects. Verse four, and being assembled together with them, commanded them, commanding them, interesting. Do you have to obey commandments? Yes, yep. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, that's one, He's going to give another one here shortly. But after, uh, um, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said, saith he, they have heard of me. So he was telling these things and he's telling about the Father. He said, you've already heard this. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Hence. Not, not very far away, not very far ahead. Soon, real soon. Well, how soon? Uh, I might as well tell it right here because we're going to run into it shortly. In 10 more days, if he was there with them 40 days, what happens on the 50th day? Okay. Pentecost. 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 10 more days. And then it would be there. So they began to, um, uh, they're listening and wondering about when he's going to come. But you know, they miss the, the story because it's just here uh, in verse six, they say, okay, Jesus, um, fine on what you're telling us, but how soon are you going to set up the kingdom? How, how soon do you start ruling? Oh, not yet. So he had to tell them, you know, it's not for you to know, not for anybody to know or try to figure out. It's in God's hands. It's God's power in verse 7. 
But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. Um, when you get this Holy Spirit, you're going to be a witness. It's not that you get it and do nothing. You're going to be a witness. Wow. And then, of course, they have to start in Jerusalem. They've got to start in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, a close home. And then the uttermost part of the world. Can you imagine the 12 sitting around the table saying, let's see, uh, I'd like to go to Africa. I'd like to go to India. I'd like to go to China. I'd like to go east. I'd like to go north. I'd like to go. Isn't that a neat thing to do? To just say, okay, let's do it. Let's get out there and go. Well, God actually did a little easy thing for him. I always love to see where, where God fits in and just you'd say, wow, look at there. When the people were poor in Jerusalem and Paul was taking offerings to take down to them, and then he gets himself crossways with the government and he appeals to Caesar. Uh, he needs to get to Rome one way or the other. Uh, is the church going to fund him? No, God gave it all free. Free boat ride, free security, everything, <laughs> food, lodging. All the way he went to Rome. <laughs> okay, I love to see those things happen. God's in charge. Okay, so then the, uh, when he had said those things, uh, they were, they went up to a hill. And first you don't know what hill it was, but they went up on a hill. And uh, while they were speaking there in verse 9, while they were speaking, Jesus was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. Taken up. And boy, these things mean something to me because high-flying airplanes, this wall, that's me, okay? I got to see these airplanes. And one in, in Canada, when the guy went up, um, this is a, an American spy plane, when he went up and he's talking to the um, control tower, and I'm listening. And he went, went way up, and the control tower says, wow, that's way up there. He said, oh, I could have gone a lot higher, but the crowd can't see me. So he leveled off, and then they could see him, and then he headed. So he said, where are you going? Oh, California. He said, well, how long will it take you? Oh, I'll be there by coffee break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, when Jesus went up, he was received into a cloud. Well, clouds don't go that high, and there's no point in going out of sight of the, of the disciples, right? So the cloud must have been low and, and received him. He was received into a cloud so they couldn't see him anymore. And they stood there looking up. And two men stood by them. And when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, um, we know that they're going to be angels. They're in white clothing. But you know what they were men? What does the world tell us? They're pretty looking little women with, with wings. And halos, yeah, you've got to have a halo. <laughs> Those are lies. I'll, I'll guarantee you 99% of the time in the Bible, when it talks about angels, they're warriors, they're men. Um, there's a possibility of one place where it could be women. But one place, obscure. I bet you wouldn't even be, well, you'd have to search for it and, and find it. It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you that much. <laughs> uh, but they're warriors, they're protectors, they're guardians, they're, they're here, they're standing there talking with these people and they say, why, why are you standing here looking up? 
And they, of course, that was obvious. But what he says in verse 11 is also a shocker. Ye men of Galilee. They were Galileans. They were not Jews of Judah. They were not from any other tribe. They were Galilean people. That was their background, Galileans. Anyway, and then he says in that verse 11, as you've seen him go in the manner that he went, the same he's going to come back. Now, you get all kinds of stories of how Jesus is going to come back. Isn't this a, such a simple, great story? You can add a little to it because there's going to be angels with him. There's going to be an entourage. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. There's, there's things that you can find in the scriptures that say what's, who's coming with him, with Jesus. But he's coming here. We're not going there to him. He's coming back to earth. And he's going to set up his kingdom here and rule a thousand years from Jerusalem. Anyway, right here it says uh, in verse 12, uh, uh, they, then the disciples that were there returned to Jerusalem. That was home. Where did they return from? The Mount of Olives. Now we know what hill it was. They can look it up on a map, find the Mount of Olives and say that's where Jesus went back up to heaven. Okay, then they returned to Jerusalem, uh, and uh, it was about a Sabbath day's journey. Well, that's not scriptural measurement. That was man-made measurement. But if you figured if you walked so many, the, the, the authorities of the church decided that if you walked so many paces, it wasn't work. If you went any further, it was work. So it was illegal to do it. So this was a very short distance, you might say, from Mount of Olives to where this upper room was. That's neat to know. I've heard of people that uh, uh, by taking the teachings of the leaders of the Hebrew church, they could drive, uh, they could drive to church if they were very, well, really weren't supposed to drive, they were supposed to walk. But if you were taking a Sabbath day's journey, that, that's as far as you could walk to church. So you had to live near the church. Uh, but if you were in Calgary, Alberta, and the sun went down on Friday afternoon and you were going to be heading home. The sun goes down there a lot earlier, you know. Uh, you just fill your gas with car and drive, fill the gas and go on the other 600 miles, other, you know, total 600 miles back to your home. No problems. But then on Sabbath morning, you can't use the car to go to church because it's outside of your town. That's why Jesus scolded those guys and said, you're making commandments of men that you're making people obey and you can't even keep them yourself. Yeah. Anyway, this is Sabbath stage journey was just a man-made measurement, so, but it was close. There's one way to look at this. That upper room was close. They got there and it says uh, in the upper room in verse 13, where abode both Peter and, and you think, well, there's gonna be just this and that and all 12 are named. Well, 11, they needed one more, right? And that's what the rest of this is about in the rest of this chapter. One was missing. Well, we know who that was. That was Judas. And what happened to him? It tells it in this chapter what happened to him. Okay, it's good reading, but from here down to uh, verse 20 or so, uh, 21, 22. So in 22, they said that uh, we, we need to have this other person that would fill the, the twelve. And uh, they named two people, they uh, prayed, and they, uh, they wanted to know that this person was one that had seen Jesus uh, and, and his story. Um, beginning with us, it must be one ordained 
to be a witness in verse 22, besides us, of the resurrection. So he had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. But they found two immediately and they were ready to go. They uh, names them there. And then they, uh, they prayed and uh, prayed and the prayer is there. What would you say at a time like that? Well, here it is to read it and say, okay, I guess I could use that to talk to the Heavenly Father. And then they, um, they cast their lots. Of course, they're explaining to God why they're doing this in verse 25. It's interesting, people that uh, tell God what he already knows. <laughs> okay. uh, I guess it's okay, it's here, you know. Uh, don't make it too long, though. Uh, God already knows what, what was happening and why. And verse 26, and they gave forth their lot. They cast lots. Now, some feel it was done this way or that way, but this doesn't say, and it sounds like, you know, this was giving your lot or take your hat off or, I don't know, one place, you know, when they had made a vow, they took a shoe off and handed it to the other guy. Um, anyway, they did something that indicated their choice of voting. It didn't say that they put a paper, they wrote on a paper and dropped it in a hat and took the name out of the hat. That is very, very nice to do. Amazing. I've seen proofs on doing that where you just blow your socks off. That the right person that you really wanted to see get it, God did it. Anyway, they somehow voted here to choose this one fellow and he was numbered with the 12. Make the make the 11th position full and then it would be 12. Now, in chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost, there you are, that's the day that I was talking about. Why Pente? Five sides. The Pentagon in Washington, D.C., five sides. Okay, five. Well, here the five needs a zero after it, right? This makes the 50 days. This is what it's the 50th day was all about for the day of Pentecost. So then when you're into chapter two, as we go along here just a little bit, um, they, were, they were praying, they were all in one place and they're praying, the cloven tongues come down, it's great reading. And uh, they begin to speak in tongues of languages. How do we know it was languages? Oh, just read a little further. There's all these other people from all these other countries, at least 12 other countries, they heard their own home language that was being preached to them. So at least 12 languages were being used of every nation. And all these people that came from every nation, at least 12 nations are named here, um, they heard in their own language. So when you want to go Let's say, let's send a guy to India and it's going to cost a lot of money to send him and how's he going to live? And, and here, God brought him over here from that country, from that country, from that country, from that country, because they needed to come for this time of the year, right? That was God's law that they had to come to do these annual uh, celebrations. But they came with their own cost and when they went home at their own cost, you know, and the message went with them. I'll bet you when this voice that they were hearing I'll bet you they were hearing the gospel message so they could take it home. And they were convicted and, and would have taken it and so on. Well, Peter stands up in verse 14 and uh, with the 11, interesting, I guess the other fellow had, hadn't had time yet, but he stands up with the 11 to uh, be 
ready to go. And he begins to talk. These guys are not drunk with new wine. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. So you go over to uh, verse 16, 17, look up Joel, and there it is in, the, in my margin. It says Joel 2, 28 through 32. We can read that in the Old Testament and prove that's another prophecy that is pertaining to this kind of life and this uh, belief. Uh, and, and it goes all the way down there for a ways down to verse 19 and 20 or the signs that are going to be seen, the moon and the sun and so on. But verse 22 is the one that you really need to land on. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. Isn't that a witnessing verse to use? That is a great verse to use. That if they will believe in Christ, believe in the truths of the scripture itself, telling about Christ, they shall be saved. Really? That fast. When um, the eunuch was reading from Isaiah and Philip came and joined him, and they, he all of a sudden came to a realization. He said, there's water here. What hinders me from being baptized? What did Philip say to him? Are you sure? <laughs> if you are really sure, if you really understand what you're doing, you may be baptized right here, right now. And he said, okay, let's do it. They went down into the water. Uh, Philip didn't run down there and fill a little glass of water and come back and say, here, I got some on you, here, I got some on you, I got some on you, you're all in. He didn't do that. They went down to the water and he baptized them in the water and they came out of the water afterwards and Philip vanished. He was about 30 miles away when, <laughs> when he was next noted. He's, uh, this is fantastic reading as you go through the the story of, uh, uh, of, of the start of the book of Acts, really, is what it is, and how the message got carried. Well, following this, uh, the sermon begins, and you wonder, well, if I was making the sermon, what should I include in the sermon? Well, it starts right there in verse 22, and he starts telling a story of the history of the Hebrew people, the history of Jesus, and the Heavenly Father making the plan of salvation, and he gets to Peter, I mean, he gets to uh, David, and he says, I can speak to you freely about David. You know him real well. And uh, his cemetery, uh, uh, sepulcher, the place that they put the body, is still here. Oh, he's saying that he's still here. Very interesting. When you're talking to somebody, you just read the Bible to them and say, I want to hear about, uh, about um, uh, resurrection. You want to hear about going to heaven? You hear these songs all the time. We, we love the music, but the truth of the message that's in some of the songs is just not there, just really crazy. But uh, um, one guy was singing that he was, he's already got his plot paid for, and he's going to go and, and collect uh, his inheritance. And, his, and you realize the rest of the song is all mixed up with this wrong story. He's got his land bought in heaven already for him and he's going to go and collect it. Okay. Anyway, um, so he's there with, uh, with David and he begins to talk with them about David and about the resurrection of Christ in 31. Um, and he was not to seek corruption. He was going to be raised before the body would have decomposed. And uh, 32, he was raised up 
And we are all witnesses. How many? Well, I just told you, there's at least um, well, quite a few were already here. There was 120 in that upper room. And I bet you they were there because they were believers. They could all witness to it. And then later, 500. Okay, carry on. Um, then verse 34. And this is a punch you in the teeth kind of thing. For David is not ascended into the heavens. If David didn't make it, we're in real trouble. No, it's just a different story. He hasn't received. Hebrews tells us they haven't received the rewards without us. We're all going to receive at the same time. So this is not a problem. But uh, people that believe in an instant resurrection and off to heaven type thing and they're singing. Oh, my uncle, preacher, he's leaned back and he said, David, just a few years, few hours ago you were here singing with us. Now you're singing with the angels. Chapter and verse, please. Okay, that's why I'm saying David is not gone yet. His time is coming. Um, it talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand uh, and so on. My, my, well, the scripture verse and verse he, in Hebrews 11, verse 39, talks about that too, where, where Jesus is and where he's sitting. Um, then he commands the people directly. He wants to address them directly in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, I thought it was the house of Israel, house of Judah. He's combining them because the house of Judah had all 12 tribes there already. They had scattered. And then when they came back, they all came back. 50,000 of them came back. Years have gone by. 400 years have gone by. And they, these were mixtured people. But the people that lived in Israel or had an Israel-type background, history, all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He said, do you realize what you've done? There's other verses that talk about the king of glory or the um, son of God, and, and you crucified him. You called out and said, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Oh boy. He said, do you realize what you've done is really what he's got here? And he's, this is that, like I say, a punch in the teeth. Because the next verse, then when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Somewhere else it says, well, I'm in a great strait. You know, I'm in big trouble. So Peter carried on. You have to know what to say next. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins that ye may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and ye shall receive. I love to use that actual statement, half of that sentence at least, uh, that I baptize in the name of Jesus, I baptize you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. I like to use that when I'm baptizing somebody. And there's other things to say as well at the time you're baptizing. I like to do about three things, that, but that's one partial sentence that I use on purpose. Okay. For the promises unto you and your children that you'll receive the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words, he testified, exhorted, and saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves. I mean, you, you can't do that in some um, 
fashion, you might say. You can't say to God, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be good enough. I'm saving myself. That's not the idea. What you're saying here is, I see the pros and the cons, and I'm going to prove, I'm going to choose for myself that I want to get out of this generation. I want to be right with God. I want to meet God. I want to meet Jesus. That's the choice that you're making here. You're saving yourself by doing the right thing at the right time. And they gladly that received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know, I love to see this, this inspiring drift of the church, how it came up all of a sudden. 3,000. Those 12 apostles must have been just dipping them and dipping them, handing them to somebody else, dipping them, handing them to somebody else. No, you know what I see? When these people were so converted and so changed and such a believer and were baptized, all of a sudden they could baptize other people. The job gets a whole lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> a whole lot easier. You didn't have to call for a preacher. You didn't have to call for an apostle. He could do the baptizing. Amazing. That's a quite an authority for a witness of Jesus to be able to do. Okay, so uh, there's wonderful works that were being done here and the apostles and so on that were talking with them and they were doing all things in common. They were kind of getting ahead of themselves a little bit because the date wasn't placed of how long they'd be. And later they thought, well, maybe John the Revelator, John the Baptist, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, his life determined when Jesus would return. Oh, they found out that didn't work neither. Okay, God has a, a different measurement, so that wasn't it. But here they were trying to stay close together, and uh, live comfortably, but they, in verse 47, they praised God having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Daily. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? You got 3,000 there already, now what are you gonna do? Daily add to that number. Then it talks about uh, Peter and John when it was the hour of prayer and they're walking up to the temple and there was the man on the side of the road. And uh, he was asking, it was by this certain gate named Beautiful, and he was asking for alms and they said, no, we, we don't have alms to give to you. But what we have, we'll give. Rise up and walk. Peter took him by the hand and lifted him up and he began to jump and dance. And read the story. He was this condition from birth. And he was deemed as a man. That means older than 21. Never walked. Never used those muscles. Never used those ankles. And it's a miracle that's happening here. He's jumping up and down. He's going into the church. And people say, wow, I know this guy. He's been out there for years and years. And he's jumping up and down. And in perfect condition, his legs are fixed. My goodness. And boy, they started saying, uh, they, they got so excited that it got the authorities to come. <laughs> they didn't like that because nobody's supposed to be higher than the high priest. And here these guys were doing miracles. So we got to do something about this. The people were all running together and they uh, saw Peter and they were in such a marvel down verse 12. And he says, this is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's done this, not us. And uh, going down fairly quickly, but he says, uh, you guys wanted Pilate to do it your way. That's in verse 12 and 13. And he said, what you did with the Holy One 
in some place it says the Holy One of Israel, your Holy Son of God. It's really what it's saying. The just, the just one, it says sometimes. You, did, you, you, you called for a murderer instead of Jesus and put Jesus to death and killed the prince of life. Wow, Jesus is the prince of life. God hath raised him from the dead of whom we are witnesses. And he's got these 500 behind him, you know. We are witnesses. So then the, the story there is really great, but I want to get down to verse 19 for sure. It says, uh, Repent ye therefore and be converted. This is the next step in the walk of salvation. To repent of your sins and be converted, be changed. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You know what? It's at the time you hear it. That's really the time of refreshing. It's coming from the Lord. Don't wait around. Get it done. And he shall send Jesus Christ, whom before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. This is the same idea throughout the whole Bible from time when it began. We don't have to wait for a special season, special time. The season is when you're there and you feel the Holy Spirit moving on your life. When you're touched by the Holy Spirit, it's time to take advantage of that step. Otherwise, we'd say, well, those that did it in the 40s, you know, or didn't make a choice in the 40s, they have to wait. No, don't wait. Then he uh, brings the chapter to a conclusion there in chapter 3 saying unto you, first God, having raised up the son, his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every man, every one of you from his iniquities. We're supposed to turn away from our iniquities, get right with God. You know, I just couldn't stop at that point because I need verse four that follows. Albeit, Many of them which heard the word believed. They did believe. Wow. And the number of the men were about 5,000. How many did we have already? And add to that daily. And now 5,000. Didn't name the women. I guess every man had a wife. So you can double that number. Wow. Is this a revival? A revival service. <laughs> okay. So I want to look at... In conclusion here, I want to look at a little sheet that's been around in my life for just about ever. <laughs> the idea that we need to preach repentance. These verses are in the scripture. And I'll just name roughly where they are. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. From Romans. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's from Romans. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one from his own way or to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's from Isaiah. Talking about Jesus in prophecy coming ahead. God's remedy for this sin 
In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Belief that we need for the remedy for sin is Christ. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians. And in Ephesians it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches and grace. Then I want to go to Romans for all have sinned. Again, it says that you can be saved. And the idea is now, do it now. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to make sure that people understand what it means to be saved and that there's a responsibility that goes with it. If you want to drive a car, you get a driver's license. There is a responsibility with it, right? Okay, same here. Accepting Christ, there's going to be a responsibility with it. But do it now is what it's getting at. For since grace are ye saved through, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. And then the famous one, John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When a person has agreed to that and that discussion, then you'd move on to the next step here. It says uh, confess to God. Each person needs to confess to God for themselves um, that he is a sinner that he believes in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and uh, he believes in the cross, he died on the cross and was raised for our justification. Without Christ, we wouldn't make it. And then you say, the person would say in prayer and in writing here, I do now receive and confess him as my personal savior. A commitment, if we let up on the commitment we let up on the signing on the dotted line, you might say. I always say like baptism, you're signing on the dotted line. If a person wants to be baptized, don't let up on, on uh, the strength of the moment. They need to be completely convinced and put to the test right there at the same time. So what I would say now is that if anybody wanted to make that move, Make that decision that they should come forward. Come and pray at the altar, pray here, pray in the seats. If you can't kneel, just come up and sit down on there. Or take a chair here and sit down, but come forward. The idea of movement, doing something for God and demonstrating to everybody that I'm, I did. I did it, I walked up there. That's how I was raised in my little church that I went to in Canada. We went to the front, we prayed on knees no bench to kneel to and so on. We, we went to the front and we prayed. As long as the last person was still there, we prayed. Okay. 
That's a good move, good thing to do. I pray, um, we should pray for our friends and pray for yourself, of course, first. Pray for yourself, pray for your families, pray for your friends, and pray that, uh, uh, that they would accept Christ as their Savior. I like to pray daily, if not oftener than once, a day for my family, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and my children. Uh, we want to make sure that that prayer is going before the Heavenly Father. May God bless you.